The scripture reading for today comes from Philippians 1, 18b to 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am, if I am living in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are delighted to have your word, your, your living word that the pierces and divides the, the soul and spirit, the bone and the marrow, God. And we ask that your word would come and pierce our sinful hearts, God. We desire so many things of this world. We long for them, God. Let us long for you. And this can only happen through the movement of your spirit coming alive in us. And Father, we ask that you would move your spirit in us, God. And if we do not believe this very moment, that you would cause us to repent and trust in you for our eternal salvation, that we may sing of your glory forever and ever. Amen. This will come as to no surprise to uh, basically all of you. But growing up, I was not regarded for my intellect whatsoever. Uh, this was quite apparent even in kindergarten when my mom had to have various meetings with... See, this is how bad I am. I don't even remember the kindergarten teacher's name. With this kindergarten teacher. And and shove me through to on to the next grade. On to the next grade, right? And get him, get him out the door. And so there's, there's many things growing up, and even now, in my, that I can never reconcile them in my head, but I know they go together. One of the most recent ones that has become on, on my horizon where I know they go together, but I can't reconcile them, is why does bacon taste so good on a maple donut? It, it, it makes no sense. Here's a part of a dead pig sliced and cooked to perfection on top of a bunch of processed sugar and flour with artificial flavoring, and you just join them together in this glorious wedding. And out comes this donut that is so, so glorious. Believe it or not, Paul didn't have that type of stuff in his mind, but that's the, we, we are going to have these two things I can't reconcile them, but I know they go together, is what we see in our text here. And the main drive of this sermon is that we should hold our lives loosely in your hand. 
Hold your lives loosely. But squeeze everything out of it. Hold your lives loosely in your hand. It can be gone in a moment. Be willing to give it up. But while you have it, squeeze every living thing out of it. Every moment, redeem it. Every action, every relationship, every encounter that you have, use it for God and for His glory. And that's what we see Paul bringing forth to us. So let's jump into the text here. Right in the beginning, it says, yes, it's the latter half of verse 18. Yes, he breaks it up a little bit different. Uh, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's stop here. Remember, remind ourselves of what's going on in this letter. That Paul is not saying that he's going to rejoice because he finds himself in this glorious, most fortunate position. No, he's in a Roman house arrest. He's in, he's in jail. But here he is. He's rejoicing. And if you look in the beginning of verse 18, he's rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed. That's, that's his only concern. Well, I'm in prison. Yeah, that's fine. But Christ is being proclaimed. And because of that, I'm going to rejoice. And also take note of, of the tense here. Going back to verse, verse 18. He's saying that he is rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed, even though it's at his expense. Remember Adam's sermon from last week. Even though it's at his expense, he is rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed. But then he switches it here and he says, and I will rejoice. It's in the future. He will rejoice. And it's, it's, there's no, it's not subjunctive. There, there's no condition upon it whatsoever. He will rejoice. There's no restrictions on it whatsoever. There's no inkling of doubt that this will come to fruition. And the means by which it's going to happen, if you look in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will come to pass. And then we get to the thrust of, of what's going on here. But that with full courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What we have to realize, me, you, what you have to realize is that your life is not yours. It's not yours to gain, and it's not yours to keep. And because of this, Paul, he was able to go forth with, with full courage. And now courage here is just this fearless confidence that he's able to go forth in Former times, you could look around and you could see courage as though it were trees and grass. You would, it would be everywhere. But now I've, I've heard it said that courage, especially men, amongst men now, courage is the rarest of the good traits. But here is Paul bringing them to hold their lives loosely going forth in courage, holding it loosely, knowing that he is entrusting it into the hands of God. He, he says this to the, 
to the Corinthians here in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, so that we are always of good courage, he writes. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body at, and at home with the Lord. For whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And so going forth with this courage, knowing that Christ will be honored in His body, whether by life or by death, He goes forth because He knows that He will be delivered. Either He's going to be delivered from this situation, right? And then He'll be released and he'll be able to carry on proclaiming the gospel. Or he'll be ultimately delivered and carried on home into glory. And what it shall be, well, that's up to the working of the Spirit of Christ. One of the commentators, they said, To leave it to Christ, beloved, leave it to Christ, How will we be serviceable to His glory? Either in labor and suffering, by diligence or by patience, by living to His honor and working for Him, or by dying to His honor and suffering for Him. In us, we see so many things. We see the text, and there in the backdrop behind the text, is our glorious idols. You see the one of comfort and then his brother idol, the one of ease, right behind him. And we... All right, let's just be honest. We... we it's kind of a tangent. We, we look at the Greeks and Romans and we think that they're fools because they have so many idols and they put up Jesus amongst all those other idols. Don't think that you are immune to that because you don't have little figurines up on your mantle. Idolatry is the course of the natural man. And unless you fight it and fight it and fight it and see it in your own heart, you'll be swept away by it. But against this backdrop of the, the brother of, of, of ease and comfort, the ones at whom we will bow down to during the week before we clean ourselves up to come to church on Sunday morning, the, the stories of God's people, they continually remind us that our lives are not something to be grasped onto. They're not to be taken, but no, we are to give them, are we not? So we have to be clear that this life is not your life. This world is not our home. We are tools to be used in the hands of God for His glory. And sometimes God is most glorified when His people suffer. Perhaps have, from our perspective, an untimely death. This shouldn't be shocking to you. Look at the the children, the son of Adam and Eve. Abel, he gives his life for the glory of God. Zechariah, during the the reign of Joash, who was actually a good king, although this is not commendable. Zechariah goes into the courts of the temple and he stood before the people and with full courage, he said to them, 
Why do you disobey the Lord's command? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. And by the way, he has forsaken you. Not exactly the prosperity gospel Zechariah was presenting to them. And the fruit of his labors was that they killed him. A prophet, they killed him in the courts of the temple because he was preaching the word of God. Paul, who wrote this letter, he presided over the death of the first martyr in the New Testament, Stephen. He gave his life for the glory of God. And these men and these women throughout all of history have held their lives loosely in their hands. And they're able to do so because they know that there is something far greater. Far greater to die is to gain. There is something far greater before them. And Paul knows that he's going to be delivered, right? Either in this life or in the next. Either through his release or through martyrdom. And to be honest, he's saying, either one's fine. To live is for Christ. Well, that's pretty good. And to die is to gain, to go home and be with Him. And so we, we see the essence of what Paul is, is saying in the text. But how do we move? How do we do it? How do we move beyond these, these platitudes of amazing women and amazing men of yesterday, yesteryear, and how they had these glorious lives? How do we have it not be their actions, but our actions? And not their belief, but but our belief that just flows out of the fingertips throughout the week as we hold our lives loosely. You have to see, listen to this, you have to see that Christ is your life. He is all of your life. He's not just a pillar He's not just a little ingredient. No, but Christ is the very the substance of who you are. It's so easy for us to... We have so many different things going on. It's like we'll have Christ on this leg and we'll lean over here into the world and enjoy ourselves. But when we see that starts crumbling, then we'll come back to Christ and stand on Him in this leg and we oscillate back and forth and back and forth. And wonder why the Christian life is nothing but futility and disappointment and heartache. No, no, no. Christ is not just a pillar. Christ is your very, the concrete substance of who you are, beloved. And until you realize that, you're never going to be saying, well, for me to, to live is for Christ and to die is Cain. That those lips cannot, those, those words cannot come out of your lips without you being a hypocrite. Unless Christ is the substance of who you are. Paul puts it this way to the Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who, who I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You need this. You have to be able to realize, brothers, sisters, that Christ is your life. It's the only way you can say, for me to live is Christ and die is to gain. And I, I fear 
for so many of us, myself, is that as we're working through the text this week, we just take the Christian life far too lightly. It's as though it's an apron we put on so we don't get messy. We don't get dirty. And then it seems as though once it's cleaned up, then we take the apron back off and hang it up and put it away. But Christ is not external to you. He is in you. Paul writes this. Do you not realize this about yourself? That Christ is in you. He's the very substance of who you are. And he writes this to their church in in Rome. Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's the church in Ephesus. He writes, Christ dwells in your heart, not by your good works, not because you're doing all right, not because the world loves you. Christ dwells in your heart through faith. Well, my friends, this creates uh, quite a predicament, we must admit. We come to the point that we're, we're holding our lives loosely because we see that Christ is the substance of our lives. And then, so then we can fat, emphatically declare without being a hypocrite, for me to live is, for, is Christ and to die is to gain. Well, which one... Do you want to live for Christ or to, to die? Paul picks up this dilemma in our next verses here in verse 22. He says, if I'm to, to live in the flesh, you know, to, I'm going to live either way, so let me clarify this. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for you. Yet which I shall choose, I I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And if you're holding your life loosely and you're ready and you're ready to give yourself entirely, you're going to have the same dilemma where you, one hand, I just want to go home. I want to go home and be with the Lord. But on the other, I see the darkness of this city. I see our fledgling church and I want to, I want to help them reach the city, reach the city, which I shall choose. I, I cannot tell here. And Paul says that, it, that he's hard pressed between the two. And as you can, they translated it beautifully. It's incredibly emphatic, the words that he's using here. He's being pressed in on one side of these internal struggling desires. And he wants to go home and he knows that's far better. By, it's, it's far better. And contrast this to the world, right? Our desire to depart, it's also in the world around us. Unfortunately, suicide is becoming rather normative. In our world. Shakespeare wrote with Hamlet. To be. Or not to be. Prince Hamlet. He, he, he muses at this point. When he sees the, the complete destruction of his life. That's going on around him. 
This disappointed ambition, the mental sorrow, this complete dissatisfaction with the world. It has driven many, many, even many of us to wrestle with this issue. And this is what the world has to offer. But that's not what's going on in the heart of Paul. His desire is not to leave behind, but his desire is to go and to go and, and to be with Christ. And remember what's happening here. Remember, Paul's already been, he writes in, in to the, the church of, uh, in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 12, he writes that he's already been caught up into paradise. He's already seen the glories of God, the things to which man is not permitted to tell. Beloved, listen to this. What is held before us? This is why Paul is longing, longing to go. This desire to depart and to be with Christ. It's the place where violence is is no longer heard. These are from Isaiah. Where the sun will no longer be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting your light, and God will be your glory. This is what is awaiting us, beloved. The sun will never set, and your moon shall wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow, they will end. This is a place where the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from our eyes and where we will be glad and forever rejoice with God, our Creator. Most beautifully, God will be rejoicing over us and taking delight in His people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Well, is it any desire that He does? And you wonder that he desires to depart and to be with Christ. For it is there that we will fix our eyes on God and we will see him face to face. And when this happens, we will become like him. Some men that fear death. Paul is desiring to depart, to be with Christ. Some men fear death as though they're, they're coming up to a chasm. And it's this plunge in to the unknown, to the raging sea of fire below them. Well, it's no wonder that they're afraid to die. And, and quite frankly, this is a, a accurate description of, for the ungodly. But what you see with Paul and, and the Christian, it's not this plunging downward into this this unknown, this sea of vengeance and wrath from the pouring out from God. But no, it's not a plunging down, but it's a, it's being carried up. We're on the bottom rung and being brought up. And we hear Christ calling to us, come, come, come. And we're climbing up rung by rung, being carried up into glory. And we hear the saints rejoicing, resounding as another brother and sister is carried home. It is far better, my brothers and sisters, to be with Christ. To be with Christ, as it's been said, all of heaven is condensed and compressed into these words. To be 
with Christ. To be with Christ, which it shall repay all of the wearisome toil and pilgrimage of this world. To be with Christ shall, shall be sufficient to repay us for all of our struggles and battles with sin as we seek to move on and to become more like Christ. To be with Christ is more than enough to endure, let's just call it, this wicked generation that we live in. To be with Christ where our bliss and our, our satisfaction will be endless and spread across all of eternity, my beloved. To be with Christ is glorious. So we hold our lives loosely. For there is something far greater awaiting us. And it's not just that we hear of Christ or not just that we see Christ, but beloved, you will be with Christ and share in Him in His glory. Well, that sounds good. Okay. To be with Christ. But now what? We're still here. You read these, these verses and these, you expect the Lord just to, to rend heaven and come on down and, and carry us home. But there's something else to it. Until our lives are taken out of this open hand that we give, saying, God, I want to go. I want to be with Christ. I will serve in any way. I will not let fear hold me back from anything. Until Christ comes and takes it, we squeeze this life and get everything out of it. Let's go back to our verses here. We'll just pick it up again, going back to verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Well, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Here Paul is he's like a, 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 a ship. We were out fishing with the kids a couple, several weeks ago. And it was starting to rain and the winds... the Waves were blowing the boat around quite a bit. And so you anchor off the, the shoreline a little bit and cast into the shore. And it begins blowing it and, and blowing it and moving the boat more and more this way and that way. And that's kind of what was going on in Paul's here. He has these heavenly winds blowing on him, calling him. I want to go home. I want to go home. But his affection for them has anchored him to them and he cannot depart so he puts off his entrance into eternal glory to be with him to be with them and so you see the purpose then of his life in remaining is not a, uh, to to acquire some comfort and to ease to just have a, a, well the prison food's not that great let's be honest even though we're in the capital it's i've had better 
Um, his desire is not for any of that. Look at these verses. His desires for their progress in, in their joy and their faith, their progress, knowing that the, the Christian life is just carrying on to our celestial home in Zion. And he's, con- he's convinced of his own entrance going up into heaven, so he's able to be consumed with theirs as he is convinced of his. And so it's not only their progress, but also their joy and faith. It's teaching them and showing them that they can have joy, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on, that they will have joy and joy in Christ. And so, beloved, until you close your eyes with this eternal sleep and go home to be with Christ... Squeeze your life and get everything out of it. Your your eternal life, that is in Christ. All of it is in Christ. Your eternal life is in Christ. Even your life right now, your very breath right now, it is in Christ. And you will be glorifying Him in the age to come. And so it's, it's unfathomable to do anything less but to glorify Him with all that we have right now. So we hold our lives loosely and we squeeze everything out of it. And in doing so, we are having this glorious picture, not of our lives, but of the life of Christ. Which is why we celebrate communion again and again and again. And that Christ... had come down from heaven. And until his life was taken, until he said, it is finished, all of it was oriented towards the glory of God on the cross. And he squeezed his life and got everything out of it and then gave it up. And he gave it up willingly. It wasn't taken from him, but he gave it up willingly. So, beloved, we are going to be celebrating communion again with this in mind, that our lives is not our own, but our lives belong to Christ. So as they come up and sing this next song of worship, beloved, if you are a believer in Christ, if you've repented and turned from your sins, if you're a member of a local church, come and partake of this communion and know that your life is not your own. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would give us eyes to see your eternal glory, that we will hold our lives so loosely, God. We pray for your your boundless will to be done in our lives. And we ask that you would make yourself known to us and through us in this city. Amen.